that's what we're talking about in this sermon series. Um, the need to get connected. The need to find true community. Uh, William Shakespeare once said, words are easy like the wind, but faithful friends are hard to find. And finding really good, true, faithful friends, it's not easy. It's not easy in our world today, and I don't know about you, but for me, it's really one of those things I've always even struggled with. And we make all sorts of excuses on why we don't have close friends. Well, I'm too busy. I've got too many activities. My kids are always doing stuff. Or, uh, you know, we, we can rationalize. We can make excuses. We can, we can come up with all sorts of reasons that we don't have close friends. But the truth is we really need them. Let me do a little survey just to kind of kick things off. Um, I need some, your help this morning. How many of you have ever read a book on marriage? Right? Have any of y'all, a lot of y'all have read a book on marriage. Um, how many of you ever read a book about parenting? All right. Um, okay, uh, that's something I think we all know we need help with if you're a parent. Now let me ask you this. How many of you have ever read a book on making friends? <laughs> it's a little different. Um, it's a little harder. There's not as many hands that go up because it's not something, I mean, that's just not something that people typically write about. It's not something you really hear uh, a, a lot about even from the pulpit in church. And so that's really one of the reasons that we talk about it. Um, when we have people that we can call, when we have people we can go on vacation with, when we have friends that can come over and we can have a meal together, life is great. It makes such a huge difference. But then so often we see people alone and frustrated and lonely. Um, some of our greatest disappointments in life come from friends who may have hurt us. And so we're afraid to open ourselves up to that again and we just shut down. We just keep ourselves kind of shut down. I, I saw a stand-up comedian um, on social media, and he was making fun of this. But he's like, it's so different. Like for kids, they're like four or five years old, and they're like, go up to, to, to someone else and like, hey, are you four? I'm four. Cool. Let's be best friends. And it's like, bam, they're best friends. Have you noticed that? I mean, you, you think back to school. That's how kids, they're just like, oh, yeah, okay. We're, we're going to buddy up. We're going to. And they look past all the excuses. They look past all the differences, and they just make friends. We don't do that at work. We don't walk up. How old are you? you you're, 40, you're, you're 49. I'm 49. Let's be best friends. <laughs> we don't do that. I mean, that would be, I mean, it's just kind of absurd, right? Because that's not how we interact now. You like, you know, we, it just, we've made everything too complicated sometimes. And so the truth is, we really are made for connection, deep, real, true connection, for real, meaningful uh, relationships where we can trust each other, where we can help each other, where we can serve each other. But as we talked about last week, we're in this epidemic of loneliness. Um, I saw this, these statistics this week, and it's a little scary. I'm just going to be honest. When you read this, you're like, really? It's this big of a deal? Let, let me just share it. It's loneliness scholars. Uh, that's a, a weird research field, but it's important, right? Uh, and researchers, Dr. Louise Hawkley and John Casasipo, found that loneliness has been associated with personality disorders and psychoses, suicide, impaired cognitive performance, and cognitive de decline over time, increased risk of Alzheimer's, uh, and increases in de depressive symptoms. Additionally, they found that when the body recognizes it is lonely, it is more likely to die sooner and more painfully of everything from heart attacks to cancer. 
In other words, they found that loneliness is a public health crisis that makes a person irritable, depressed, and self-centered and is associated with a 26% increase in the risk of premature death. When your body recognizes it's lonely, the biological response is similar to being physically assaulted. When people are lonely, they have overactive fight-or-flight responses that can cause chronic stress challenges. Having close community connections helps stave off trauma responses after devastating events. Or what this guy said, his favorite, the physiological cost of being lonely is greater than smoking. Let me, let me get this. Loneliness is more damaging than smoking. And, and, and when you step back and think about it, you think about what the last two and a half years have done to our society. This problem is not getting better, is it? That's why we've got to talk about it. This is secular research, but the Bible is full of the importance of doing life together with other believers. It's full of friends. It's full of people who have invested selflessly in serving one another. We've got to get back to that. We, we can't do life alone. And C.S. Lewis once said, he said, friendship arises out of mere companionship. When two or more of the companions discover that they have a common Uh, They they have in common some insight or interest or even taste which others do not share and which till that moment each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden. The typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what? You too. I thought I was the only one. That's what friendship is, right? You, 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 um, You think that way too? I thought I was the only one. Oh, you like that? I, I, I thought I was the only one. Oh, uh, you're, you're passionate about doing this? I, I am too. I thought I was the only one. And that's what friendship really is. When you're isolated, you, you feel like you're the only one. There's no one else like me, right? I'm, I'm the only one. Think what happened. I mean, just reminded me, right, of Elijah on Mount Carmel. He has this huge victory against the prophets of Baal and everything looks great, and then he's threatened by Jezebel. What does he do? He runs, right? He runs, he hides, and what does he do? He's like, I'm the only one left. I'm all alone. He, he, he wants to die because he feels like he's isolated. He feels like he has no friends. He feels like there's no one else like him. That's what loneliness does. That's what isolation does. It, it brings you to that point where you're like, why should I even keep going on? Because there's nothing. And that's what Satan wants us to believe, that we're all alone, that we're isolated. And that's why we're talking about this today. Um, God's truth in the Bible, it, it helps us find meaning. It helps us connect. It helps us make and maintain friendships. Um, back uh, in June, we did a sermon series on the life of David. And I don't know if you remember, um, there was one sermon we did about David and Jonathan. Y'all remember that? I hope you do. Uh, it's just been a few months. Um, and sometimes depressing because, I mean, I know, like, I'm like, did I preach about that? And I look back at my notes and I'm like, well, if I'm having trouble remembering, I know y'all aren't going to remember. So if you go back and listen to that sermon just a few months ago, right, it's got a lot of information in it that actually ties right in with this sermon series. Uh, and actually, I was preparing my sermon about midweek, and I was looking at it. I'm like, 
wait a minute, this all sounds familiar. And I went back and looked, and it was kind of like the same sermon. I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to change this week's message a little bit um, and, and have you go back and listen to that one if you weren't here because they're really, they're really similar in some ways. But in that sermon, I shared a, a, sermon, uh, shared a quote from a book by Paul David Tripp. Um, he's a pastor, theologian. He says this, he says, We live in interwoven networks of terminally casual relationships. We live with the delusion that we know one another, but we really don't. We call our easygoing, self-protective conversations fellowship, but they seldom ever reach the threshold of true fellowship. We know cold demographic details about one another, whether you're married or single, the type of job, the number of kids, the general location of housing, but we know little about the struggle of faith that is waged every day behind well-maintained personal boundaries. He said this, he said, one of the things that shocks me in counseling, even after all these years, is how little I often know about people I've counted as true friends. I can't tell you how many times in talking with friends who have come to me for help that I've been hit with details of difficulty and struggle far beyond anything I would have ever predicted. Um, and so he talks about this, right? That's, that's the... That's the predicament we're in. Last week, we talked about why we've got to talk about this. This week, I want to kind of transition and get into what do we do about it? What do we do about this? How do we become better friends? How do we make connections? Next week, we're going to get into even more detail about that. The final week of the series, we're going to talk about how hard it is to keep friends once you have them and talk about how you resolve conflict and how you work through uh, the disagreements and the stress and the, the, and the problems. So uh, today, I'm just going to start with some thoughts that we all know. The, I'm not going to share any groundbreaking, groundbreaking, earth-shattering news with you today. I'm not going to share insights with you that you say, oh man, I've never heard that. But there are times, right, there's times that we need to be reminded of truths that we know but we don't really practice. There are times that we need to be encouraged a little bit. We need to be reminded of what God expects and what God wants and how he desires for us to have better, deeper relationships. And so the first point this morning that we want to talk about, I'm going to be talking about faithful friends today, how we can make faithful friends and how we can be a faithful friend. Here's the first point is faithful friends aren't selfish. The, the, you, you know, right, that, that selfishness is a bad thing. We know that just instinctively. We also know that when we have kids, you don't have to teach them to be selfish, right? What are some of the first words that almost every kid says? Mine, right? Mine. And it's interesting as kids, um, you see this, right? Um, we see kids, they think the world centers around them. It's a part of human development that as parents, we have to teach them to look out and think about others. But when we look in, in Scripture, we can see what a good, faithful friend is. And when we look throughout Scripture, I think our most important example should always be, let's look to Jesus. How does Jesus live? What does he say about it? What was his character? What was his nature? What can we learn from Jesus? And in Philippians chapter 2, we see this description of Jesus. It's really, it, it, it shares God's character as revealed through Jesus Christ in the flesh. 
And so I love this, this passage, and it's one I remember doing a, a Bible study on when I was in college, and it stuck with me uh, about having the mind of Christ. And it's the same character, it's the same attitude that we should have. Here, let, me, let me share it with you. Philippians 2, I'll just read a few verses here, verses 3 through I think 8. It says, don't be selfish, right? Can I, can I just say that's pretty plain, isn't it? There's nothing, you know, nothing crazy there, but that's pretty plain. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. If you want to be a better friend, if you want to be a faithful friend, we could just like stop right here and say, let's really focus on this. Let's not just talk about it. Let's live this way. Let's put this into practice. Right? I think so many times we want to go deep when, in all honesty, we just need to be more obedient to the truth we already know. And that's really, this is what I'm talking about right here. If we could actually put this into practice, you think it would change the relationships in your life? But let me keep going. This is why. This is the why behind that. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He emptied himself, right? He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. This is Jesus right here giving us the example, sharing the why. Why do we live this way? Because Jesus lived this way. Why do we not be selfish? Because Jesus he, he gave up his divine privileges. He left heaven. He came to earth, and he, he lived the perfect life that we could not live. He went to the cross. That's not selfish. That's selfless. He did that because of us. He did that to pay the penalty that we could not pay. That is our example, and because he did that for us, we are called now to live that way for others. And so we need faithful friends. We need friends who can learn to live like this. This is how we need to live. Um, and, and so it's so basic yet so hard to do. And, and again, I said from the time of childhood, we think the world re revolves around us. The scientists will look at that and talk about the brain development and they'll say, well, when the, you know, the, the frontal lobe fully develops, then you're able to be more rational and think more concretely and and that happens around like 25, 26, right? And so and up until that point, um, you, you know, it, it's hard because your brain development is not to the point where you really see the, the full picture of what's going on. And, and so, but we've got to be reminded, right? This is what we do as parents. We help our children understand, and we learn from them too sometimes, the world doesn't revolve around them and doesn't revolve around us. It really is all about Jesus and how we help share that with others. And, and so friendship is, it, it's supposed to be entering into the relationship not because of what we get out of it, not because the world revolves around me. It's not like I, I, I want you to be my friend so I can get this benefit from the relationship. It's not friendship. That's, that's using. That's control. That's manipulation. Friendship is this uh, example of Christ's love because of what Jesus has done for me how can I serve you how can I help you how can I be there for you and, and I'm telling you 
when we have friends like that with us and when we're that way with others, it really does change everything. It breaks this cycle of selfishness that, that poisons so many relationships. Jesus gives us this new model. And, and I'm telling you, if we just, if we could stop right here and just say this, this one principle would change your relationships. It would change. If you're saying, I don't have that many friends, this person just wears me out, this person just always complains, this person just does this, and this, you know, what are we doing? We're saying, we start looking at all these relationships, and we're seeing what we get out of it. Maybe we need to kind of flip the script a little bit and start thinking about how can we serve others. And it will change their relationship with you. Now, there are times, of course, We've got to be careful. We've got to have boundaries. I understand that. But we can't, think, we, we can't make everything about us because it's about Jesus. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. When we really start developing faithful friends, we're going to see they're the people that stick with you in difficult times. Uh, they're going to stick with you in difficult times. A true friend is going to be around. They're not going to run. They're not going to flee. They're not going to take off when the going gets tough. Uh, when I think of friendship like this in, in the Bible, my mind immediately goes to Ruth and Naomi, right? The, the story of Ruth and Naomi. If you haven't read the whole book of Ruth, you should. It's an incredible book, incredible story. I, I'll give you the short version, right? Ruth marries Naomi's son. He dies. Naomi tells Ruth, go back to your own people. You don't have to stay with me anymore. You're released. You can go home. Um, but Ruth says she wants to stay. She wants to stay with her uh, with Naomi, and they have this relationship, you know, the, the daughter and her mother-in-law, and, and, and they overcome challenges, and you see the story, how God uses them. It, incredible story in Scripture, and there's a verse in the middle of that that you often hear at weddings, which is kind of, I understand why, why, why it pertains to weddings, but it's not really about anything romantic, right? It's about friendship. It's about friendship between a, a daughter-in-law and her mother-in-law, right? And, in the, and let me just share this verse because you've heard this before. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. That's a friend that sticks with you, right, even in difficult times. This was not easy. This was not easy. And, and if you look at uh, this story, right, Naomi decides to move back to her hometown of Bethlehem. Uh, so Ruth is having to go to a foreign country, to where nobody knows her, where she doesn't know anything. She's going to have to provide for her mother-in-law. Uh, and we see uh, how God uses this story of friendship. We see how God blesses this friendship. We see the, the obedience, what it leads to in this story. And, and I just share that because friendship is like that. When you have a friend that sticks with you, it's amazing to see how God uses that, right? Not only for your good, but for his glory. It, 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 God can use it for his glory and, and it can point people back to him. Uh, I was thinking about, uh, do we have any Toy Story fans in here, the movie? 
all right? That's a cute movie, and I'm going back a few years here. There's, there's a song in the movie, right? You, you know what song I'm talking about. You've got a friend in me. So a few years ago, I don't know if you saw, there was a little four-year-old girl on YouTube that sang that song. Have y'all seen this? Her name was Claire Crosby. you, you got to look this video up. Uh, I would show it, but copyright stuff and all that gets you in trouble these days. So I can't really show it and live stream it. Uh, but you got to look up that video. I, I, I just looked last night to see, and it had like, I don't know, 40 million views on YouTube, and that was just the first video I saw. I think there's more out there of it. Um, but this little four-year-old girl, she sings it, and she's got, I mean, she's cute as she can be. She just sings, and she's singing this. Uh, her dad sings the first verse, and then she jumps in on the second verse. That You've got a friend in me. You've got troubles. I've got them too. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. We stick together. We see it through because you've got a friend in me. And and you got to watch this video. I'll, I'll try to share it. It's, it's cute, okay? But that's, that's what I'm talking about. You're right. You've got troubles. I've got them too. We're going to stick together. We're going to see them through. That's the type of friendship that we see throughout Scripture that, that is modeled for us. And so when you go through life, and let me just ask you, how do you respond when your friends go through troubling times? Are you the kind of person that's like, oh, man, it's getting messy. It's getting tough. Uh, I don't have time for this. Are you the person that rolls up your sleeve and shows up on the doorstep and like, man, you need help. I'm here for you. We're going to see this through together. All right. This is, this is, again, this is what we've got to wrestle with. When we're selfish, going back to the last point, right, we think, well, it's not, that's inconvenient to me. I'm busy. I got other stuff on my schedule. I don't have time for this. Someone else will pick up the slack. Someone else will show up. Someone else will help. But when we really start realizing that's not what we're called to, we're called to be there in times of trouble. We're, we're called to be there when our friends need help. Um, Throughout Scripture, we see all these one another commands, and I've been referencing them, but, you know, we're called to bear one another's burdens. What does that mean? What does that look like on a, on a daily basis? It, it's, not taking, it's not doing everything for them, but it's to be there when they have those difficult circumstances that they need help, that they can't carry that load anymore, that they need someone to come along beside them. And so that's so important. And then the last thing that I would say when it comes to being a faithful friend is we need faithful friends that will bring us closer to God. We see this throughout Scripture. We we see this in our own life. We need people who are there for us. We need people who will help us and bring out the best in us. Uh, You know, I do a lot of over the years, I've done a lot of pre-marriage counseling, and um, I've seen a lot of relationships. and And I, I'm 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 a very romantic, optimistic person when I'm doing pre-marriage. I want to see the best, but there's sometimes people I just see from the very beginning, and I can't really say this out loud, but I just see that they're not bringing out the best in each other. Have you ever seen relationships like that? That instead of bringing out the best in each other, that they uh, they kind of feed off each other's negativity or they, you, you see that often and you try to warn them, you try to point it out, you try to help coach them through that. And then on the flip side, you see some people that just make each other a better person. 
I'm thankful for a wife like that, that she makes me a better person, right? And I hope you have relationships in your life and friends that make you better, that bring out the best in you. And I hope you're that way with other people. Uh, obviously, there's so many stories in Scripture. We see this. One of the first that popped into my mind was a story that happened in Capernaum where friends uh, did something for the, they did something pretty unique. They did something pretty amazing. And you see the account in Luke 5, and you know this story. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. Uh, they tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up on the roof and, and took off some tiles. They lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. What would we do for our friend? They, they, they brought their friend to Jesus. They got him closer to Jesus. That's, that's what we need to do. And that's literally, but we need to do it figuratively too, right? They literally brought their friend to Jesus. But are we doing that with our friends today? Are we bringing them to Jesus? Are we pointing them to Jesus? Are we teaching them about Jesus? Are we helping them see Jesus and what he's doing in our life? This takes real friends to go above and beyond. They could abandon their friend. Their friend was paralyzed. He couldn't do anything for himself. And yeah, they went out of their way to make sure he got to meet and, and, and see Jesus. And Jesus healed him. And so let me just ask you, right? Are we really bringing people to Jesus? I think one of the issues that I see that we do too often is we try to fix people instead of letting Jesus fix them. Right? We try to fix things. We try to clean people up instead of letting Jesus be the one that cleans them up. And, and, and so often we're like, well, I would invite that person to, to church, but man, their life is messed up right now. That's why they need to be in church. Amen? Instead of looking at them and saying, well, they need to get cleaned up, then we'll invite. No, they need to be in church. We need to let Jesus be the one that changes their heart, that changes their life, that changes their perspective and their worldview. We need to let Jesus be the one that transforms their mind, renews their mind, as Romans 12 tells us. And so uh, we've got to just, our job, our responsibility is to bring people to Jesus and let him be the one that heals them, the point people to Jesus over and over again. Um, I, I read this this week, and I'll share it with you. It said, walking through life in a God-belittling world with our sin-ridden flesh against a hell-bent enemy is too hard to be attempted alone. Alone, we easily believe the lies of Satan. Alone, we buckle under the weight of our sin. Alone, we grow discouraged and weary. Like the paralytic, we need the help of other believers to carry us to God. So how can we bring others to God? We listen to a sister confess a hidden sin and, and wash her with the truth that Christ has cleansed her and made her whole. We can meet the practical needs of those enduring intense suffering in Jesus' name. Or we can simply bring our friends to God in prayer, asking him to do greater things in their lives than we can do for them. So we bring them to Jesus, right? But we don't just bring them to Jesus. We encourage them. We walk with them. We keep pointing them to Jesus. Hebrews 10, 24 says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another uh, to acts of love and good works. And so this encouragement that we're told to give, right? This encouragement we, we're told to give, it's not like buttering them up. It's not just like uh, being 
insincere. It, it, it's, it's giving them courage. Have you ever looked at the word encouragement? You know, encourage. Where you're speaking courage into their life. You're giving them the courage to be who God created them to be. That's what encouragement is. Encouragement is not telling someone what they want to hear. It's speaking courage into their life. There's a difference there. It's seeing something in them that they cannot see themselves. That is encouragement. And so whatever form it takes, encouragement right, motivates others to run the race that God has laid out before them. Uh, again, I read this in uh, an article this week. It said, what are some qualities of being a good friend? They stick closer than family. They often know you better. They pray bigger things for you than you pray for yourself. They believe with you when your faith is weak. They make space for you when your life falls apart. And they rejoice with you when all is well. Most importantly, true friends remind you in every encounter who and what is most important. The essence of Christian friendship is companionship forged in the fire of two conviction, two convictions. One, Jesus alone can satisfy the soul. And two, his kingdom alone is worth living for. That's pointing people to Jesus, right? That's, that's seeing and being there and helping each other live the life that God has called us to live. And so I'm thankful for friends in my life, and I can go back over time, who have seen things in me that I did not see myself. Thankful for friends that saw leadership abilities, that saw teaching abilities. And, because the truth is, I did not have that confidence in myself. The truth is, I would not be up here as your pastor if there weren't a, a series of individuals in my life that encouraged me, that spoke courage into my life, that, 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 that really told me and, and equipped me and encouraged me and, and, and just saw something in me that I could not see myself. I'm thankful for friends like that. So one, do you have friends in your life like that? And two, who are you doing that to? Who are you speaking life into? Again, this just goes back to, I know we're all busy. I know we've got stuff and I, we, you've got kids and you've got activities and your job is stressful and, you, and, and you're just trying to get food on the table and you're just trying to, to, to juggle all these balls in the air and keep everything going and we don't have time, but we've got to make time to live life like this. In a couple of weeks, we're going to focus on another way that you can bring your friends closer to God by, by really uh, holding them accountable, right? By, by resolving conflict. Uh, uh, Hebrews 3 says, you must warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. This is another way we bring people close to God. We speak truth into their life, even when it's not popular. We need people who will be honest with us. We need people who will, uh, again, be truthful and do it in a way that they do it with love. But we need people who, will, who care enough about us that when they see us going off the rails, they'll be there to help us. And, and so I, I just I want to share this morning. If you're here this morning, I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're like, and I'll, and I'll share this. Even some of the most extroverted people don't have close friends. I had a conversation this week with someone, and, and, and the conversation was like, you know, I, I, it, 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 the, the 
the truth with extroverted people, sometimes when they get really close to people, they get scared because they don't want to be vulnerable. When you're around a group of people, you can be wide open and loud, and, 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 but you may struggle with those close relationships. So this is not just an introvert thing. I think extroverts struggle with it too. I think it's a societal problem where we're really afraid of deeply connecting with other people. Maybe you've been hurt before. Maybe you're, you're, you're just scared because you think people won't like you if they know the real you. Again, what are you doing? You're believing that lie that I'm the only one. I'm the only one that, that, that's like this. There's no one else. You've got to realize there are others like you. And, and, and so let me just start with this. Have you prayed? Have you prayed that God would give you one or two close friends that you can do life with? And, and, and not just are you, have you prayed, but have you started reaching out to those people? Uh, to go on walks, to go have lunch, to go um, just pick up the phone and call and, and just encourage and ask, what, do you, what are you going through right now? How can I pray for you? How can I help you? Is there anything I can do for you? Not what you can do for me, but how can I serve? This is how you start developing friendships. This is how you, there are so many people who are lonely, who are struggling, who are longing for a friend, who are longing for someone to be there for them. And so the way we, we, we make friends is we, and this again, it sounds like elementary school, but it's so true. If you want to, to have friends, you've got to be a friend, right? I know this is so basic, but so important. Romans 12 says it this way, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. It's taking the initiative. It's taking that step of faith and, and going out of your way to meet up with someone for coffee and inviting someone into your home or, or, or speaking truth into the life of someone else. Um, this is what we're called to live as believers. And, and my personal opinion is that this world around us is going to get less and less Christian, less and less uh, Christ-centered over time, and more and more against the the principles and biblical commands that Jesus has called us to live out. We're going to need the support of each other more and more as time goes on. We're going to need help. We're going to need those people that we're connected to, to go through life together. And I just want to encourage you. I want to speak some courage into you today. You can do this. You can live this way. You can live a countercultural life. You can live in a way that honors Christ and that people see Jesus in you and allows Jesus to work through you. And so I, I just want to challenge you to do that today. And, and I want you to start thinking about, okay, who, who am I investing in? Who am I walking with? Who, who am I doing life with in a way that we can share Jesus? I'm going to ask the, the, praise, the worship team to come back up. Uh, we're going to close this morning, but would you guys bow your heads with me today as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that, that you love us. I'm so thankful that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to, uh, to, to earth on our behalf, that he humbled himself, he, he left heaven, that he gave up his divine privileges, and he came and, and lived the life that we could not live. He lived a selfless life. He lived a life for others. That he went to the cross on our behalf so that anyone, whoever puts their faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, that you will save them from their sins. You will rescue them 
um, from their, their, their sin and their shame, and you will, you, you will give them a new heart. Uh, you will bring them back to God. You will, you will bring us into your family. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that we now are connected, not just by friendship, but by being brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're called to live in this new community, this new way of life. As we see described in, in the book of Acts, how people live together day to day, and we see how you blessed it. And you see, we see how the world saw it, and people were getting saved, and the lives were being changed, and the church flourished, yet in a time of extreme persecution, Lord. We see how the church flourished even through that. Lord, we need you. We need each other. Help us to lift up the name of Jesus as we live for you and help us to have the support and the encouragement and to be there and to become that friend that you've called us to be. Lord, we just want to thank you this morning for your word. We want to thank you for this fellowship we have together. We want to thank you for those who have joined us online, who are learning with us today. We just want to thank you for who you are and for what you're done. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.